0: No, I can get on board with that. Let's wear helmets. We've got to protect ourselves from potential, you know, TBI,
1: traumatic brain injury. It's good. It's a good safety precaution. Don't get concussions. It's not a. It's not a good season for Tom so far. This is going to be the second consecutive episode where he's getting his ass kicked. <laughs> yes,
0: and, and and suffering from brain trauma. It's Like my God! By the time this man gets. Through the rest of the season, he's going to be like Lenny from Mice of Men. He's just going to be good for crushing
1: pet mice and steering the ship. Do you think that it's like uh, the guy who got struck by lightning 30-something times that once he went through Threshold and had something so extreme happen to him that it has like made him a supernatural bad luck candidate? Is he the O'Brien of the show? is what you're asking. Is he made to suffer? That could be. Is O'Brien made to suffer? Because I always thought Worf... Oh, are you talking about DS9 O'Brien or... or uh... Oh, DS9 O'Brien, bro. There's so many things that we'll uncover when we eventually get there. Because if we're going with TNG suffering, I don't think anything's going to top the shit that Worf goes through on a regular basis.
0: They really make up for that in DS9 for him. They like go out of their way to show how fucking badass Worf
1: is as much as possible. Well, I'll tell you what he deserves it. And speaking of deserving. Yes. We deserve... We deserve to be loved. (laughs) We deserve likes. We deserve... We deserve... uh, Well, let me take a Tom Paris moment out of Threshold. We were destined for great things, Joe. Our parents told us. That's true. Our teachers told us. Our classmates told us. Mm -hmm. And then... We did something bad and we made a podcast and we had to go to space jail, but we've reformed and we are we are deserving of love and we need to cross that threshold. Uh, Listeners at home, uh, we're looking at you. Push us out in front of uh, your friends if they kind of like Trek, push them out in front of your friends if they like profanity. We've got a lot of that. It's true. Uh, the more the merrier with this thing, and uh, we've been having a good time, and hopefully you guys have been having a good time too. And misery and good time loves company, so if you're either ends of that spectrum, uh, throw us out there. And yeah, much
0: love and respect to those that do uh share us on the regular. Um, we just we just do see the steady stream of new folks here and there, and we want to make that that stream a rushing river of schadenfreude and pain and and clenched fists of of strange joy and suffering so um the more you bring in the more uh you're joined in fellowship with
1: those on the journey with you and truly that's what that's what the journey is all about that's what the voyage is about also speaking of entitlement uh we're all entitled to some more good star trek by way of the orville season two we're yes. recording this on December 19th, 2018, and on December 30th, uh, the true successor to Next Gen, uh, Seth MacFarlane's Orville, is going to be coming out. Season one was excellent. Season one was my candidate for what I wanted to do this podcast originally around. So That is true, ladies and gentlemen. The, this was supposed to
0: originally be an Orville podcast. I convinced Peter that we'd run out of content too quickly. And boy, but... were you right,
1: man? We would have blown right through that.
0: But uh, definitely the best Star Trek show on TV right now. I'd say maybe the only one. Um, I just love that Seth MacFarlane captured the essence of the show in a way that I don't think anyone anticipated. And sort of backdoored his way into doing TNG uh, reboot. Uh, and and just like down to the way that all the sets feel like they're a Holiday Inn Express. Just like
1: TNG. Ugh perfect just feels right well my hope and we've talked about this before is that whatever the pretense that there will that there has to be humor in the episodes kind of is lifted off that they've proven the product and that you know they can make the show they want to make without any obligations to fox i think that they started to do that already by i'd say midway through season one I agree, but I'd like to see that trend continue. You know, I was thinking about how we say it's the, you know, it's a successor to Star Trek. It's been a while since I've been, geez, I can't even tell you, honestly, the last Trek convention I was at. I've certainly been to a couple. I've I've I snuck into a Star Trek convention once in. uh Whoa, 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 whoa. You're burying the lead there, son. You got to tell that story. Uh, So I was 18 and we did a trip up to Canada. With some of my friends from high school. And I was, I had a big crush on one of our friends. And uh, we decided that she had decided that we were going to be just friends at that point. Um, But we're out walking around the Niagara area. And uh, I saw some Klingons crossing the street and she's like, what the heck is that? And I was like, I know goddamn well what that is. That's a... (laughs) That's a Star Trek (laughs) convention going on somewhere. And if you see Klingons out after 10 o'clock, it means that there's a party going down. So we're just going to follow these Klingons to the booze. And um, I forget how I bullshit us through the security badge check area. It's probably because my friend was hot. Probably. Um, And (coughs) uh, we just party hard with uh, some Starfleet and some Klingons and... I don't know what the drinking age is in Canada, but we were probably drinking illegally and it was a great time. That sounds like
0: the best version of that story. You know what I mean? There's a number of ways a story that starts with, I snuck into a Star Trek convention could go to to bad or otherwise regrettable places. Mm. You found the line on that, which is, I snuck my way into a drinking party with people that have funny costumes on because I was with my friend who is attractive,
1: drinking like, and dancing. I, yeah, that, I mean that's peak.
0: That's it was, it was peak. good.
1: But anyway, so Star Trek conventions. I have to assume at this point there's some Orville costumes, some uniforms floating around out there. Like how, how many dozens of Trek costumes at a Trek convention do you think you have to go through before you start seeing some Orville duty uniforms?
0: I guess, I mean, we'll, we'll, I imagine it's going to get more and more uh, popular. I haven't been to a Star Trek convention ever. Really? So it's impossible for me to be. Yeah, not once, not ever. And Sounds so, like you guys need to
1: go on that uh, Kate Mulgrew cruise.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apparently Kate Mulgrew's going to headline the 2020 Trek cruise, mm. which if it didn't, was it going to cost us infinity dollars? Sounds like a great way for us to do a, a live version of our podcast among people who would hate it.
1: How many conversations uh, just like this do you think are going on right now in the various podcasts across the internet for Star Trek? Here's lot. what I, I here's the script for this uh Star Trek cruise, right? There's gonna be some podcasters that are it'll be you and me, right? In a real rush to go off. No, maybe not you me. Some other podcasters, some very famous podcasters with thousands. They're gonna be in a rush to get somewhere on the ship. And then like Anchorman, they're going to get surrounded by podcasters from all the other local affiliates and like Spanish special access for a big podcaster knife fight with tridents and pistols and chains. Only instead of uh, instead of like red blazers, everybody will have um, Picard's off duty uniform from season five.
0: You know, I just I just want to kill somebody that does a TNG podcast with a trident. So that's where I'm at. Like, I know we would win that fight, too. You and I are scrappers, man. And some of these
1: guys are not in good shape. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think we could probably run some hot game. I don't know, man. I'm getting old. And I'll tell you what. I here, Here's my shameful admission since we're already 10 minutes in <laughs> the episode. Uh, I was right. trying to get my daughter to laugh. And I found a hula hoop. And I tried to hula hoop. And I fucked my back up with the hula hoop. I am...
0: Oh, dude,
1: <laughs> bro. I'm an old piece of shit, man. Bro. Hula uh, hoops are not made for 36 year olds. I'll tell you that right now. I'll get you on my go to the gym plan.
0: That's uh, a worked like a
1: charm. Every it. 60% of the time it works every well, time. Well, You know what? Throw a hula hoop in that regiment and come back and talk. To me about how you feel.
0: <laughs> it's not going to help me. Yeah.
1: But uh, we are here hypothetically to talk about Star Trek Voyager. What did we watch? We watched a really good episode, man. Uh, season three, episode four, The Swarm.
0: I wouldn't. I, I don't know if I would say really good, but I would say at least good. We watched a good episode of Star Trek that was unfortunately stapled to a really like pointless B
1: plot that for some reason is the title of the episode. Um, I don't know. We, we can get into full thoughts later on, but uh, I was I was very happy with both parts of this. And uh, the B plot actually gets us kicked off. So you got a helmsman log coming in. It's Tom Paris and balana because why wouldn't you put your helmsman and chief engineer out in a shuttle craft which i'm going to start calling um death carts so why wouldn't you put two senior officers in one of your death carts way far away from the ship scanning for an energy signal for some goddamn reason while uh i forget what Voyager's even doing taking on cargo they're
0: taking on supplies according to the log mm-hmm. and exactly what you're saying why the fuck aren't Aren't Jabroni, Ensign Jabroni, and Crewman Jamoke, the ones out there in a fucking death cart trying to go on a snipe hunt? Yep. Why the actual fuck are two of your most important crew members, your two most important and irreplaceable crew members, out on this goddamn thing looking for sensor ghosts? This, I mean, I know it's because we want to have our main characters have dialogue, and, you know, nothing quite like teasing the the romance that is to be you know, truly gives gives off the heat of a dying ember <laughs> between Polana and Tom Paris. But it, the premise of the fact that these two are essentially doing shit work. I'll buy them lo- lonesome for hours and hours. Just makes no fucking sense to me.
1: Well, I think the sense there is that Jerry Taylor has a allergy to um, giving anybody else camera time that might be considered secondary cast members. You know, she's just killed all of them off. So, yeah, you got to.
0: That's true. Keep the attention on the big boys. If if somebody we hadn't seen was in the shuttlecraft that had been eaten by some kind
1: of space monster (laughs) within two episodes, it would not last yeah, so they start flirting. Uh, Tom makes a pass at Balana. She shoots him down, but she throws out a little smile that uh, she appreciates the attention, I think. And right about that time, they start getting their sensor readings back. Uh, they hail an uh, upcoming ship in. Um, suddenly, there's two bug people. And I thought their costumes, I mean, they're not like Space Muppet Baby adult version quality costumes, but uh you know they get away from your standard perfectly human face with a little bit of silly putty between the eyes
0: they looked i would say almost insectoid yeah yeah like like with like
1: exoskeleton looking sort of gear it was it's a neat look it is a neat look and i would absolutely say insectoid it goes with uh the sound their communications make and the swarm motif that this has you know we'll see later on with a swarm of smaller ships but um they pop on and uh, Tom and Balana are kind of caught with their pants down and like, oh, hey, and they say some shit and then just quick draw and zap both their asses and leave them like stunned on the verge of death, basically. And then they zap off the d- important takeaway from this for me, though. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time we have seen a race in the Delta Quadrant with transporter capabilities.
0: Uh well not exactly the Skeevians clearly had that level of technological cap- capability, um so
1: it's not they, common. They, though. I mean the Kazon certainly didn't. The
0: Vidians had... I think the Vidians did
1: no because remember the Vidians had to like land shuttlecraft on surfaces and fly off.
0: But did they explicitly not have?
1: I don't think we ever saw technology? the the Vidians ever teleport anywhere i'm sorry transport anywhere i'm gonna say no
0: so unclear on if the vidians had the capacity yeah it's definitely rare a point was made that Talaxians and the harconans did not have it um and obviously the kazon didn't so most of the races that we spent any significant amount of time with seasons one and two did not have it and the skevians had a technology
1: that was more advanced uh than beaming so you know, they would be the only exception. Um, I'm also going to go ahead and assume that, uh, Tom and Belanda didn't bother having the shields on the shuttle craft up. And that's why they are able to, to beam in. But, um, so they get gunned down and then we, I think run credits and we come back in to Robert Picardo singing some opera with a very fetching wig. So the scene is set of, uh, a, a duet
0: from an opera. I don't know what it is. is. I'm sure, it's probably in the memory alpha. I'm not an opera fan, uh, but it's very Italian. And in particular, the lady who is singing opera with the doctor in this case is the most Italian stereotype character ever created. I mean, if this woman had a pizza in one hand and and talked about being a plumber and you know like complained about trains not being on time and made a lot of like it 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 was a concentration of every italian stereotype into one person the 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 rudeness the the accent the use of of hand gestures i mean i was i was expecting this woman to say it's me a mario like it it was pretty fucking ridiculous but it was hilarious at the same time yeah
1: but how good did the doctor's wig look it looked good the whole costume looked good though like the
0: the the scarf you know, the whole, like, uh, I want to say, like, turn of the century vests kind of look. I liked
1: it. Yeah, Very hipster. I got to say, I really like this scene because they start in and, uh, you know, they're just showing you some antiquated stucco walls and some wooden banisters. I instantly thought that we were back at Tom's whorehouse. Uh, the chat. Ch- what's that place called? Chateau what? Uh, fuck. Whatever. The, the pool hall with all the fops. Sandrines.
0: Sandrines.
1: Uh, so it not being that, and instead of being the doctor getting some personal time, I thought was really cool. And ultimately this, uh, diva, um, duet opposite to the doctor singing starts throwing him like major attitude. And I felt like it was more attitude than you really ever see out of any of the hologram characters so far. And it's like, I'm just wondering if this was just some intentional hologram on hologram violence like statistics show you're more willing to fight in people in your own uh, socioeconomic status and like the closer someone is to you the more easily violence and disputes flow and i don't think that this the the woman singing knew that the doctor was a hologram himself uh but I found their exchange where like they started berating each other and, you know, she makes the accusation that singing with you is terrible. It feels like I'm trying to sing with a computer. Um, it, it was a very interesting juxtaposition of the two characters and exploitation of his situation. And I really, really, I, I don't know the humor they were going for there. I, I felt what they were putting down. Um, I liked, I like your headcanon that this was
0: that the, the diva, hologram was aware that the doctor was a hologram and therefore was purposefully saying shit that was gonna be hurtful. <laughs> like I like that idea. It seemed to me that in reality she was ignorant, and that was the point that she was saying things that were act that yeah. were true on accident. Yeah. And and the doctor was aware how true they were and he was like grimacing at some of the shit she was saying. But uh I I prefer the idea that she knew that he was a hologram. In what if
1: that was hurtful out of spite? What if all the holograms were just in character and they all had an out of character mode where, you know, it's like, eh, I don't want to play this, you know, role again. Kind of like reboot. Right. Remember the old TV show reboot? Oh, yeah. But there's rules like uh, you can't say certain things to, you know, the humans. You can't break character. But it's like, oh, here comes this. This EMH, he thinks he's too good. He thinks he's not a real hologram. He thinks he's a human, and then like you know, they really just sass him and all the things they're not allowed to say to humans. They...
0: <laughs> yeah, you watched with... Altered Carbon?
1: Oh yeah. It's like all the hotels and the, the, AIs. the AIs
0: that have poker and shit. Yeah. Hands down,
1: the best part of that series, I think, was uh them fleshing out the AI. That when the when the AI uh Poe gets him to finally sign off and become a hotel guest and he wastes those bounty hunters. So good. Oh, yeah. So good. That was the best part of the show. Anyways, um, but we get to the end of this scene and uh, the doctor forgets his lines, which I would think would be all sorts of red flags prompting, you know, diagnostics and all that. But he chalks it up to the fact that this uh, other lady just got his feathers so ruffled that, you know, it made him forget. And he gets pulled out of the hologram uh, simulation but off the holodeck by Janeway saying that they got a medical emergency because uh B'Elanna has you know through her rough and tough Klingon half Z ism or whatever uh, able to to shrug off a little bit of this alien attack get the shuttlecraft back to Voyager but Tom's not doing so hot yeah Tom's struggling he needs more medical attention
0: and as the doctor treats both of them, his memory issues start to become more apparent. Uh, there's an instrument that he's missing that he didn't know he moved. He says two contradictory things to Bolana about her status. And so the episode is starting to clearly tease that there's something going on with, with the doctor's memory. I got a quick question for you, though, Peter. You have intimated in the past that you knew that this was going to happen. Have you seen this one?
1: That I knew what was going to happen, that the doctor was. No, no, no. But I mean, it had to be an obvious plot on the table. You know, you've got a piece of software that was never meant to be used in the capacity that it is. Like at what point? OK, so you just
0: get you just guessed this was going to happen. Based on it's just too obvious a sci-fi trope not to. Happen. It's
1: too good not to happen. I mean, if they had never realized this episode, I would have been very, very disappointed. Um, okay, I was just, I was just curious because it sounded almost like you knew it was going to
0: happen because you were aware of the plot. Now you just understand genre fiction so
1: well, you knew that it was impossible for them to take a pass on it for seven years. Well, I, I'd which really hope fair that point. They where is the briefing scene coming with uh, Neelix? Uh,
0: it's the very next scene. So they're I'm in the briefing room. They start to talk about who these mysterious assailants are. And that's when Neelix says, uh, I've heard of who these guys are supposed to be. Uh, but it's all bad news. They're monsters that murder people and you never should go into their space ever because that's what they kill people for.
1: All right, so you brought up a while ago Neelix's eyes. Did did he actually have like cat slit eyes at some point? Uh, it was yellow contacts. So the yellow contacts he have here, he has here, are the same ones. Like I thought he actually had like cat eyes for a minute because they get a like a real close up on his face when he's saying, "Hey, yeah, uh, I've heard rumors. These dudes are kind of boogeymen. We don't want anything to do with these guys." Um, And I saw that he was back to like the data yellow um, lenses. This is a good scene for Neelix, I think, but it also reinforces like, why is this guy cooking breakfast for the crew? He is your sole (laughs) source of information for the Delta Quadrant. You know, minus the fact that uh, you got a shuttlecraft go warp 10 and able to map the entire universe. So you should have like advanced telemetry on all this. But anyways, you know, Neelix has the scoop instead of Neelix cooking people's eggs. Like, shouldn't he be running college courses for the crew and shifts about like, let me tell you everything I know about the Delta Quadrant because I think you've brought this up maybe two or three times. Yeah, But it's like, I mean like, Oh, Hey, here's this new terrible race of murderous insectoids that maybe I should have mentioned a month and a half ago when we got over there. Like he shouldn't be the only person who knows about the stuff. There should be other people. Like Hey, Neelix, didn't you say like, in that, that briefing seminar two weeks ago, that this might be a thing we need to keep an eye open for. Just a lot of eggs in one basket.
0: I, you know, I agree, but I think that the answer to your question is that they want to have Neelix as this outsider voice and kind of turning him into the bartender at Cheers was their way to fit him in to things where his expertise wouldn't necessarily be important to the scene, but they wanted his voice in the scene. So, yeah, that's his value add to the crew in terms of like practicality. But, you know, they want to bring that voice into situations where like we're talking about in threshold when he like inspired the 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 three of them about, you know, how to approach the question
1: they were dealing with with giving the shuttlecraft to work. What I say is he's an epiphany specialist or something.
0: Yeah, like an epiphany specialist or a confidant, or he's like going to be the sounding board in situations. We've seen him do that, and so that's what his like alternative use to the script and the story is, which is why he's cooking everyone's eggs, even though he's like you know a, a
1: treasure trove of practical information as well. So we're going to talk about the B line a little bit here. I am going to grant you that the premise of this is bad. But I am going to say that the everything else that stems off of it is good, particularly Neelix's uh, forewarning here, which I think is pretty creepy and and impactful. And I'm going to give my gold star for the uh, episode award to to Tuvok who I am firmly in his camp and seeing him and Neelix kind of united under the same banner around this is good. So Neelix says, hey, there's these bug people. Nobody knows anything about them. But if you go in their space, you're never heard from again. End of story. And Chikota, yeah, that's he He's very much
0: afraid. Like he gives off the fear vibe like this is bad. I don't really know much about them except that this is basically Jaws.
1: They just eat people. <laughs>
0: And and it delays that out. And like you said, Tuvok throws shade all episode with his nonverbal. It's delicious. It's great. Like, it's so noticeable. I will say it's my favorite part of this B plot is just every time they shoot over to Tuvok and shit's going wrong. He's just got a look that says to
1: you, mm-hmm. I told you, you mother- see that shit. You motherfuckers I- told you. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Chakotay is looking at the map and he has somehow done some space math on it and says, well, based on this, they have a very long, but very shallow territory. And if we don't, you know, breach their borders and go in unwelcome and let's go ahead and chalk up what happened to Tom and, and, uh, Paris as a warning. And for whatever reason, the Universal Translator does not work on these bug people. And that's kind of funny because it's right back to the Universal Translator head scratcher. But uh, if we do not, if we respect their borders, we are going to have to fly up to 15 months out of our way to skirt around the space. And Janeway ain't having it. Yeah, so... We're talking about a starship
0: Voyager that veers off course to study every stupid ass, dumb ass, trifling ass, spatial anomaly for science. We're talking about a starship Voyager that wasted six months going to and fro while uh, the commander and Captain Janeway played house Uh, On their little lame house on the prairie Because they had space Disease We're talking about a voyager that's got 70 plus years Of travel in front of it Mm -hmm. To get back home And Janeway is like Nah bitch we ain't waiting An extra few months to be able to get around This space instead We're gonna go directly into fucking Jaws you know like the hunting ground with our fucking ass hanging out with a goddamn stake attached to it. We're going to just
1: see if they bite because fuck them. They're bullies. Yes. Like, and fuck, she said fuck that fuck off. she says that it specifically, uh, you know, we're a law. Um, he, here's how it plays out. They go. Oh no. 15 months. And like you said, there's so much time on the plate for Voyager 15 months. Who gives a shit? Yeah, I get it's a year, But like you said, I mean, we've pissed time away for the stupidest reasons already. And their assumption is that they're going to find a black hole or I'm sorry, a wormhole somewhere along the way and and cheat their way home anyways. And whether you're going a straight line towards Earth and being diverted for your little cockamamie mystery schemes, or you're going a legit 15 months around where you're going to encounter God knows what, who cares? It's all the same thing. and. At this point, I think it's uh, who is it? No, it's obviously not Paris because he's laid up sick. It might have been Chakotay, but someone's like, you're not, uh, you know, saying that we're going to fly 15 miles around. Uh, And she says, "Uh, I don't care. And then Tuvok interjects and says, well, what if I were to remind you that forcefully crossing borders and intruding into unwelcome space is against Starfleet regulations? And Janeway literally says, "Uh, I don't give a shit. We are a long way from Starfleet, and I'm not adding another 15 months to our journey because of bullies. Again, read bullies as a sovereign nation onto themselves with a government and all that other stuff.
0: It's absolutely bizarre to me that suddenly Captain Catherine Janeway, who has done everything in her power to not piss off sovereign spacefaring civilizations as they try and get back home. Just straight up says with no real attempt at further first contact without attempting any way to negotiate to go through this. Her first plan is fuck them. We're just going to we're just going to make a run for the border and and just try and sprint across before we can and get out of their jurisdiction.
1: I'm not going to let this like, go because this is going to be my weakest shit award for season three. Uh, jump back to alliances, right? That's the one where um, Janeway, uh Well, I'm sorry, not even that. Jump back to last episode, uh, the shoot. You know, she's willing to hand 14 year olds over to life in prison because she doesn't want to upset the government. She doesn't want to get involved. right. She wants to
0: play by the by play ball with these guys. So she's going to go ahead and hand over the terrorists, even though they're going to get tortured forever. Because he, she just wants her people back and she wants to go home. Jump
1: back to allegiances, or I'm sorry, Alliances, where, you know, uh, they end up meeting the and or they're going to, you know, strike up a deal with the Kazon. And at the end when she has that super preachy speech, because, you know, ultimately the Traben ended up being like murderous psychos and the Kazon are buttholes as always. And she starts lecturing everybody, you know, specifically Chicote. Uh, We're in a part of space where there are few rules, and it's more important than ever that we hold fast to our own. In a region where shifting allegiances are commonplace, we have to have something stable to rely on, and we do. The principles and the ideas of the Federation. As far as I'm concerned, those are the best allies we could have. Fuck Starfleet. They're far away, and I'm not going to be inconvenienced by maybe 15 months uh, if that's what it means to not be considered an invading force. Perfectly put.
0: It's it is definitely the weakest shit I have seen. And I it's it makes the entire B plot just make Tuvok's smarmy look pay off every time they pan over to it because they they end up dealing with all this adversity and and ship damage and problems
1: because Janeway is impatient. And of course they get out of it, but Tuvok who just in the Excelsior episode was talking about how much he respects her and Janeway in that same Excelsior episode who commended Tuvok for sticking to the rules and, uh, you know, protesting to Sulu about Federation protocol. Yeah. Tuvok's uh, shade in this real well-placed. I'm not
0: gonna I'm not gonna drag us through too much of that because I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this episode
1: on the A-plot. Sure. So you got uh, the doctor getting ready for surgery on time, and for some reason the hologram is sterilizing his hands. And he's singing some hey. opera, and Kess is feeling what he's putting down. This is a great Kess episode.
0: Absolutely I would say yes, as well. Um, you know, her her presence in this episode expands as it goes on as a I want to say the the moral force in a lot of ways, Uh, the selfless person, the only person who is genuinely interested in saving the doctor. And what happens is that the doctor goes over to do surgery on Tom to repair the damage that's been done to his his brain as a consequence of the weapons of this race. And he finds that he has forgotten how to do the surgery. And they go to commercial and they come back. It's clear Kess has been dictate dictating to him how to do the surgery. And even that is starting to not be effective. And Kess has to take over doing the surgery to complete it before Tom Paris accidentally dies in something that was supposed
1: to be routine. Yeah. So this is kind of a interesting turn of events here because Tom's fucked up and he's kind of comatose but his life's not in danger yet. It seems like they've got some time to explore options. The fact the doctor knows that he's like having something, he's not functioning at a hundred percent and still starts this non critical surgery at this point. uh, I think casts some, some real doubts on the doctor's regard for Tom's ultimate health, I guess.
0: You can chalk it up to the degradation of the program. I'm going to chalk it up to
1: the fact that when uh, the doctor thought that Tom was a holographic projection back in, was it Hollow Pursuits? Or projections. Remember? It was projections, yeah. He intentionally deleted Tom. He does not like Tom. Tom's life means nothing.
0: They they cut back after they're done with the surgery to uh, some diagnostic talk about the doctor. And it's revealed that... Uh, Balana had installed safety buffers into the doctor's program to accommodate his long running time and expansion of his memory that came as a consequence. But his memory has expanded so much that it's starting to break down and there's some kind of fault that has occurred. And as a consequence, they only have one really good option in front of them that they know about, which is to reinitialize the doctor. Uh, But to do so would be to essentially eliminate his memory of the last two years, which is important because it would eliminate his personality that he's developed in that two years. And that's something that Cass immediately steps up in defense of and ultimately convinced the doctor and Bolana to pursue some other diagnostic issues to try and identify the problem and eliminate it because eliminating the doctor as a person by obliterating his experiences in memory, uh, would be essentially killing him in the in the sense that he would no longer be the person that he is now. Which, of course, in the entire episode it, it has a theme that starts out subtle and becomes very explicit. <coughs> pardon me about uh, the ravages of diseases that some of us have a personal experience with, uh, like Alzheimer's and dementia, that change a person uh fundamentally when they when they ravage the, the the core of who we all are which is our lived experiences and memories
1: yeah so michael sussman wrote this episode and his only voyager credit up to this point was meld which i thought was another strong uh episode good,
0: good well written episode
1: yeah and yeah his initial script on this was a very alzheimer's centric uh bend on this entire thing and they they changed things up and and I think probably ultimately for the best. But this is a very good scene for a couple of different reasons. One, you know, this is let's see when did this come out? Ninety. Ninety-six, right? Mm-hmm. They're talking about essentially a factory reset on the doctor. Um, you know, erase all settings, delete all all, you know, installed programs, and get your baseline off-the-shelf emh back they don't know it's actually the uh the extent of his memories are are what's causing the problem they just think it's some issue with his circuits and what i I like in early sci-fi uh is when you have these stories you're trying to tell about very common terms and situations for us in modern day but back then they didn't you know it was just conceptual so you know, when they talk about the doctor, was talking about, oh, his memory circuits and this and that. And they use these archaic terms instead of like, you know, hey, just his program. It doesn't have to be physical circuits on the wall. It's just his program. And um it reminds me of uh, Westworld, the movie. And if you ever get a chance to go back and watch Westworld, it, it sucks. <laughs> but it touches on some really cool stuff. And again, you know, in Westworld, it's this movie that was made back in the 70s. And they start describing a computer virus, you know, a, a an organic problem that can move from machine to machine and infect an entire lot. And like nobody says virus because that wasn't a word that existed back then, but that's exactly what they're describing. And it's the same way here where they're, you know, like talking about a factory reset and and losing his personality. And I thought it was very fitting because they had Janeway in sickbay for this discussion, and you know, they come to the conclusion. All right, well, let's just. Uh, Let's just factory reset the doctor because and it's, you know, even the doctor says, look, my personality and the fact I like opera and and whatever else, it's not important. I'm here to save the crew. And if that means doing a factory reset, then so be it. And it's Kess, like you said, that jumps to his defense and starts touching on some previous doctor episodes like you've fallen in love and you have a personality and friends and relationships. You can't just throw that all away, even though they won't mention Dr. Pell's name, who they left to be you know, dragged off to death camp and recycled for organs <laughs> by her terrible fascist government.
0: That's very true. Oh, an oblique reference is all we could hope for. Yeah,
1: but it's very fitting for Kess to be the one to really champion the cause of, no, you're a person, you need to be respected as such, and we need to exhaust every method available to save you. Because let's say the factory reset doesn't fix a problem. Well, then the problem's going to have to be fixed anyways, and now all we've done is a, you know, a, a reinstall that we didn't have to and if you jump back to i can't remember which episode but it's really kes who champions the doctor as a person versus a appliance. yeah
0: at the very beginning of the show like first few episodes kes is the one that that ends up going to the doctor's uh, defense with janeway when janeway's thinking about like reprogramming him and doing shit because he's you know got a gruff manner and he's the one who's like, no, he's a person and you need to treat him like one. And I'm going to be real disappointed in you if you don't. Yeah. And that led to Janeway having a real like uncomfortable talk. Like she's talking to her toaster about like yep. its personal wants and needs. Like it was an, er, an a important early moment and it's paying off here, which is why I liked it. Like Kess. As an advocate. A, a, yeah, Kess has been an advocate of the doctor the entire time. And in many ways, her character is intrinsically tied to him. I feel like it's almost like
1: like one character, like two sides of the same character.
0: That that the that Kess is like this naive, you know, literally born yesterday, right? Is the trope for her. She's from a species that is our mayflies, essentially, and she, in many ways, represents the opposite of the Doctor in the sense of being very emotionally in tune, very, you know. Idealistic, uh, perfect bedside manner, uh, while the doctor is growing from her example and is in this case defended by it. I, I liked it. I liked how the dynamic worked out. And if they dialed back some of the Alzheimer's stuff in this episode, then it then quite frankly they didn't dial it back much because the entire third and fourth act of this episode really digs deep into that. And what we end up seeing from from Voyager, here is that. Belana runs out of of options, looking at it herself, and ultimately decides to consult the holo, uh, the holographic representation of the uh, diagnostic program for the EMH, which happens to be in a holographic recreation of Jupiter Station, and the the persona inhabited by this program is actually. Louis zimmerman the creator of the emh who looks exactly like the emh and is of course also played by robert picardo and peter i'll let you know you may not know this that lewis zimmerman is a character that shows up on ds9 and this will not be the only time that he shows up on voyager
1: yeah he also has a really nice medieval lab coat he's wearing there that's all wrinkled um it's it's a very interesting way to involve him. Um, he's not just, it's, it's not just like a, a help file, you know, so the EMH, I think intrepid class is one of, is probably the first ship to have the EMH system installed. And, you know, they've got a diagnostic program. Like you said that in the event that this thing goes, Hey, wire that you can run it like a, you know, a help wizard. And I think it's really cool that, you know, it is a it is a person. It's an interactive file to help you troubleshoot in that. Yeah, you do get this taste of Lewis Zimmerman. So it's uh, Robert Picardo minus brushed hair in a uh, yellow jumpsuit. I really I because the, the teaser for this saying that we're going to see a familiar face. My money was that we were going to get more Barkley. Yeah. Yeah. I figured you might think that originally, according to the memory alpha Picardo had pitched this idea to the writer's room that you know he would encounter his creator and his vision for zimmerman was that zimmerman himself was a doctor and that something so traumatic had happened that had shaken him that he moved away from actually practicing medicine and instead applied his medical knowledge to creating a a utility that would allow medicine to happen but not through his hands directly and that he could kind of divorce himself from the trauma of having to witness death and and suffering firsthand, and that you would be dealing with a very meek and broken and kind of a shell of a man, as opposed to his creation. Uh, I don't think that's really what we got here. You- oh no.
0: no, they 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 dialed Zimmerman into very much a misanthropic, sarcastic, you know, type of character who. He's like almost like an obsessive artist that becomes detached from social
1: niceties as a consequence. I love his treatment of the doctor through the episode where he does not even regard it as a person that is there. And we've talked heavily about how do you create the doctor and not just let him run indefinitely in your office while you work bugs out. And I think this really stresses the fact that to Zimmerman, The EMH is not a person. It is just a force field with hands that does a thing that the personality and nothing else matters. It's just, is this thing able to adeptly administer medicine or not? And any potential for artificial intelligence or depth was completely not on the radar.
0: I like that this episode also establishes why it is not possible for the doctor to be the uh, or holographic crew uh, to be the end all be all uh, solution that the resources in allowing a program to expand uh, is considerable and con- consequently uh, detrimental potentially uh, the the Zimmerman hologram again played with a very very Picardo does a great job of playing the two different characters in such a distinct way that is there's leaves no d- doubt as to the differences between the two. And it's it grows even and more notable as the EMH continues to have its condition go further and further downward and its cognition and mental capacity
1: clearly starts to disintegrate. I love in the scene when Bellana's because initially they're just trying to, to troubleshoot this thing, right? Like what could be causing the problem? Zimmerman looks at the file on, uh, the EMH and says, well, here's your problem right here. It's, it's flooded its memory capacity. Uh, and it, you know, again, you're dealing with a snapshot help file that is completely oblivious to what Voyagers has going on. And he says, well, you know, basically, uh, this thing's gone on too long and then uh balana says well you know we've had him on for two years and the look on Zimmerman's face was like he's like two years like how crazy this is that the emh would be running and he says uh when i thought this was really good background lore that the emh was designed with the maximum um runtime of 65 I'm sorry 62 and a half days so they have far surpassed this thing and uh, you know like what have you been doing that's eating up all this memory and where is this opera coming from and the doctor's like oh well you know I've started studying opera in my off time and he's like you're supposed to be turned off in your off time like you are way outside a speck on this thing it,
0: it's a great uh, come to Jesus moment as to how far Voyager has started to stretch the capacity of their ship already after just a couple years. It's also
1: important that we are at two years of
0: the voyage at this point. Yeah. And which makes sense because some of the compression, the time compression at the beginning has been alleviated through some pretty big gaps in other episodes. So I buy it that they're two years deep. Absolutely. Um, to speed things along just a little bit, because we're already at 50 minutes here. Um, what happens is that Zimmerman diagnoses that, as you noted, uh, as he works with the EMH, that it's his expansion of his personality and personal interests that has been destabilizing his memory. Eventually Cass enters the scene on this because Balan is being called away to deal with the shitty B plot as Voyager makes a basically a run for the border. Uh, doing some techno babble, and they're going to evade their sensors.
1: And I did whatever. like the Seder dude.
0: Yeah, they they encounter uh, an alien race, and this is the only time you see it, and it's like got a lot of extensive makeup. Like they a lot, put a lot of time into the effort into design of this guy. They find a victim of the swarm aliens, essentially, to warn them a little bit about what they're about to face before conveniently dying, and. He's a good looking alien. It's unfortunate they don't
1: use him again. I think it's but... hilarious that Janeway's like, I don't care about Starfleet rules. We're gonna gun it through this super hostile space as fast as we can at max warp for a couple hours. We know we're getting drag on the warp engine. Something's fucky about this area. And yeah, they they ultimately drop out, and that's what costs them is, is dropping out to poke at this uh this jump ship, and that's uh there's still an alien vessel attached it scouts Voyager and it calls back to home. And now the jig is up and uh, the swarm of alien fighter craft. No Voyager is there and they start getting in hot pursuit. Because Belana
0: has been occupied by this necessity. Uh, Cass has started st- essentially steps in for the rest of the episode and trying to help the doctor. And his condition has gotten worse and worse and worse. And Cass is medical capacity has clearly reached some pretty competent levels. She completed the surgery on Tom. She, she does a game job of trying to save the, the Sater alien. Uh, So it's an interesting note there that she's really like reached almost uh, you would, you would say like nurse levels at least. And, you know, she's now trying to care for the doctor and what's happening to him. And she goes to the, uh, the Zimmerman hologram their first encounter she, he mocks her regard for the EMH uh, that what she perceives as his emotions and lived experiences are just a simulation not anything real and Cass's defense of him is just very like gut naive type of reasoning and I thought it was kind of neat like in, in that first scene, almost felt like the Zimmerman hologram got the better of the conversation just by pointing out, like, hey, look, it's malfunctioning. Does it remember you now? No? Okay, well, then, what what was it then? You know, what was it feel? Did you actually think it was feeling anything? It's not. It's a program. It was reflecting its environment. And... I think ultimately Kess proves her point by going back when she goes back to the Zimmerman hologram and what happens there. But I thought that that introduced an interesting idea in terms of what AI means, how is it different than, say, you or me and our memories and our lived experiences and what could happen to us if we, you know, had brain damage or got Alzheimer's and that started to degrade, would we be any different? And in which case is what happened? Is the doctor
1: any more real and intelligence than you or I? Yeah. Um, holding up a mirror to the doctor and saying that all the new, you know, the essentially what he's saying is I see, I've made a problem and I've made this too lifelike to the point where it's distracting the crew and causing them to value an appliance more than they should have. And, and I don't know. I, I'll be curious to see how Zimmerman works in later, like if he's actually proud of what the creation's become or if there's, yeah, like this guy's made to be disposable essentially. And now you could have human life endangering itself ultimately to try and preserve this guy. I need to dial it back and make it a little bit more stiff.
0: I I think you'll be pleasantly surprised for the most part for when Zimmerman makes a reappearance. But ultimately Cass running out of options with the doctor fading fast and no one to help, goes back to the Zimmerman hologram in the final act of the episode and says, listen, I need you to help me fix him. It's just you and me, and I'm not leaving without an option, so give me an option. And he basically protests to say, listen, that's not what I'm programmed for. I'm programmed to be a help wizard, not to think outside the box. And then Kes turns it around on him and says, actually, you can. And I know you can because the doctor can. And if the doctor can, clearly, as you are programmed in the same way that he is, you fucking can. And suddenly Zimmerman sort of like strains his back up and
1: goes, yeah, uh, I guess you're right. It's like she just I can. It's like she just <laughs> popped him open and put some more RAM in and like upgraded him. He's like, oh, yeah, I thank you for overcoming my uh, shackling. You've now enabled me to, uh, you know, uh, operate autonomous. I thought this episode further drives home the point that holographic crew members who are hyper-focused and can hyper-specialize are a viable option. This diagnostic program being on par with what the doctor can. And here, this thing has been sitting in the computer and they, you know, they say circuits, and, and I want to go back to this, like, this isn't just a program running on ship's resources. There has to be dedicated hardware to this thing specifically, and that's what leads to the idea that, hey, you can cannibalize my program to upgrade him and give him more storage capacity. We we blew through it earlier, but while... Uh, um, B'Elanna was talking to Zimmerman earlier on. She's like, well, if he's exceeded his memory storage, can't we just get more? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Just uh, schedule an upgrade at McKinney station. Next time you're through. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, we're in the Delta Quadrant. That's not going to happen. So yeah, them just dragging this second program's hardware to, to reinforce the EMH um, and graft the two together uh, becomes the solution here. But, they don't know it's going to work much like they wouldn't really know if they would be able to split up uh, two Vicks back into Tuvok and Neelix. Well, they did it anyway, <laughs> but where they don't even question the fact that that might not work completely. It's a big deal in this episode. Um, and they know it's going to take a while. And this is right at the height of uh, red alert. I love how Kes goes up on the bridge <laughs> while they're being hounded by these murderous, uh, insectoids and it's like captain i need help with the hologram can i please have harry kim and janeway's like uh do you not see the red flashing lights get the fuck yeah, out of here we- Kess. unless you got hors d'oeuvres <laughs> you're not welcome on the bridge right now <laughs> go get your filthy space cat
0: boyfriend and get some goddamn pigs in a blanket up here stat i'm about to start shooting shit i need snacks
1: Kess. why are you not bringing deep fried egg rolls what is wrong with you
0: so you know, what I thought was a neat coming full circle was that Kess is able to reach the Zimmerman hologram in the same way that she originally reached the doctor's hologram. Yep. And it belays the idea that Kess is right, that there's a, a latent sort of potential element to art. Yeah. There's a l- element of artificial intelligence that has the potential to be a very real intelligence when it, it reaches a certain level of sophistication in its design. And clearly Zimmerman's holograms, whether it be the doctor or the hologram of Zimmerman himself, have reached that point and they, and they have that potential and they can be reached to go beyond what they were programmed to do, which is what separates them from the VI, virtual intelligence, to use the Mass Effect phrase that we used many, many moons ago, of early hologram stuff that we saw on TNG that was very purposefully limited to the AI that the Doctor and the Zimmerman hologram represent. And as essentially the Zimmerman hologram uh fuses its existence to the Doctor, kind of essentially killing himself, but also living on within the Doctor in a weird way to to fix him. And you know, blah blah blah, wager gets out of its stupid space self-inflicted space jam with the swarm aliens by Techno Babble. Who fucking cares?
1: Yeah.
0: And good phase finally get the, on the bridge. Yeah, there is. There's like there's a cool idea of like these these aliens have a, a kind of a auto beam out like the Borg. So they, they like show up and try and shoot people and then they get shot at and then their their body gets beamed back out of their ship. It's like an an emergency pull tab. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so they don't, they're not left behind switches.
1: And yet another time that Voyager has been raided and I would say this time Good on Voyager for, you know, not completing, getting their ass kicked in an invasion scenario. And we wrap with the
0: Zimmerman's last gasp uh, attempt to fix the doctor completing. Uh, They reactivate the doctor. And again, well done on Picardo's part. He uh, he plays the season one version of himself, which is much more taciturn. He doesn't seem to remember anybody. He. He's very cold. It's unclear at, you know, initially what has happened. Has he just been reset? Uh, But they they suggest right there at the end as he starts humming some of the opera he was working on earlier on the episode that he has retained his memories. It just may take time for that that experience to reintegrate into
1: who he is that I thought was the confusing part of the episode because they did very clearly make it look like he had been factory reset, which was the fear that this graft would fix the problems if they were to occur again or prevent the problems from occurring again. But they didn't know if it would retain his, his current version memory. Um, I think that I read that this is a bottle episode and that his return of memories is not something that it's going to be a slow, story arc and you know i'm sure that by next episode he's going to be right back at it playing his day or you know perfect uh reset when i say reset i mean doctor as we knew him not doctor as he you know is out of the box because
0: i i'm spoiled of course it was easy for me to make the leap of to what that that tease at the end meant i can understand it could be a little bit more unclear to someone
1: who wasn't spoiled i mean it's essentially the nemesis ending for for data like data's dead but you know b4 is there and oh that it's a different thing but why can he whistle this song that data liked singing and are these the seeds of a uh, new data growing is this going to come back I don't know. true it is but it's unlike the b4 ending which is which
0: felt very forced this felt like a natural outgrowth of them really testing limits of this technology and what the doctor is capable of. And, you know, seems like it's going to maybe work out that who he was is still in there somewhere, but, you know, they're going to have to get through this by the sea of their pants a little bit. And Ultimately though, uh, it's a great episode in the a plot, everything with the doctor Picardo turns in, Basically, I want to say three good performances. The doctor normally, the doctor in declining mental health, and then Zimmerman. Yes, uh, It is all buttressed by Cass's presence as a character. Uh, very complimentary of the whole affair. And it's worth watching for that part. The B plot's stupid. It's mostly technobabble, and it has the stupidest reason for
1: existing <laughs> of all time. I love the episode. The A plot was great, and I thought the B plot. Was stupid on premise, but it was excellent for making a case that, uh, you know, Janeway continues to be a terrible captain. It was great for Tuvox, Shade, which he reliably and correctly throws the entire episode. Um, I thought it was a really good Balana episode, too. Uh, she gets to start fleshing out some of her interpersonal relationships. I think she finally bridges that gap and starts viewing the doctor as a person and not just as a annoying thing that's always breaking that she has to fix i really enjoy some of the facial expressions she makes well uh zimmerman's trying to argue with her and uh, doubt her like i would agree i would agree yeah poke at her pride Kess super strong i mean again Kess and the doctor are a package deal i don't know I don't know what they're going to do with the doctor when she's not there, because I think they, again, they feel like two sides of the same character. And then Janeway is just completely off her rocker in this episode, her disregard of Starfleet, her, she's like, uh, while, while they're going through and saying what might be wrong with the doctor and advocating this reset, like she's a real stone cold bitch about the whole thing. I felt like it's a throwback to the beginning of the uh, series where she just doesn't care. Keep in mind. The doctor is a war hero. The only reason you have your ship that you threw away over Chakotay's maybe baby is because Lon Suter and the doctor gave it back to you like the doctor's MVP status. Show him some respect. He's a war. hero. I mean,
0: they do. I mean, it's not like Janeway needed a lot of convincing to to
1: pursue this.
0: Yeah. I mean, so they were trying. I don't know. She just
1: felt cold the whole episode.
0: But yeah, I mean, whatever. The premise of the episode is uh, fuck Starfleet regulations. Fuck common sense. Fuck diplomacy. Let's uh, let's man the torpedoes full speed ahead. And let's just try and drop out of warp and and get in a
1: pickle. you know, it's a great trap.
0: Beat beat the fucking marshals to the border and get to Mexico, man. Like that's that's like a fucking Western.
1: I think she knew it was going to be a big problem. And being the trap queen, she just couldn't help herself.
0: But no, I love the
1: the doctor centric episodes. Are consistently the high point of this uh, series for me, and I think that they're really doing a great job with them now starting to spread the wealth around and draw people into. good.
0: I, I completely agree. Doctor episodes are always strong. This is no exception. And my dislike of the B plot uh, does not detract from this being an overall good watch and one that I would I'd recommend. It's a good one. Uh I would say that we have been visited by the good episode fairy two times in a row now. Yeah. You know, which makes me a little worried about what we have coming up next. Speaking of
1: coming up next. Uh, but uh, yeah, what is it? Uh, season three, episode five, "False Prophets," and we've got a Ferengi dressed like uh, a pimp. We got Oh, Janeway. Shit. And we got Shit! Oh, Q-box. shit! After meeting two Ferengis who have set themselves up as gods on a primitive planet, the Voyager crew plans to use a nearby wormhole to return home. I'm fucking pumped about this episode. Oh,
0: you fucking should be, brother. This is some fucking straight up season four TMD service. Oh, this is this is some this is some fucking nonsense, but it's fun. I watched This is a
1: fun episode. I was watching uh TNG, I want to say it was season four, season five. Yeah, with Devani Rall, that beta Z psychopathic brother of Lon Suter and the the yeah, the Ferengis were screwing around the wormhole, which they said goes to the Delta Quadrant and It closed, and I was like, Oh my god, do those guys get to be in Voyager? I have to. Yes, they do. Yeah, I'm fucking pumped about this thing, man. I am. I'm ready to go. Um, All right, man. So, yeah. And speaking of the Ferengi, I think I actually have a rule of acquisition to close us out on this one with. Please do. Uh, since uh, the Doctor hit his memory constraints and it started causing him problems, rule of acquisition number forty five: expand or die.
0: <laughs> yeah, literally in this case. So uh yeah, the hype train's gonna keep rolling. It's, it's early season three Voyager has made up for some some a bad start with a solid uh two episode streak. Yeah. Sounds like we might get to three. So if you've been enjoying V'Ger Please, a hateful voyage the Delta Quadrant, make sure to uh comment or or Share or like our, our Facebook presence. Join our discussion group. Send us a review. Review us on iTunes. Whatever you feel comfortable doing, we'd appreciate it. And we will see you next time.